Welcome to the Home Class Movie Chat, the place to get into all things movies. We'll leave no genre untouched, from romance to horror, adventure to comedy, and everything in between. We'll cover the good, the great, the bad, and the can I please get the last two hours of my life back ones you really wish that you could forget. So grab your popcorn and soda, sit back, and relax. It's time for the Home Class Movie Chat with Cat and Paul. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home Class Movie Chat. I'm your host, Paul, and with me, as always, is my co-host and wife, Kat. Hello, everybody. How is everyone today? How are we doing? I think we're doing pretty good. I think I'm, I think we're doing actually pretty well. Oliver's in here cuddling with me, so life is good. Ah, well, as long as he's in, in the room cuddling you, then as far as I'm concerned, everything is good. <laughs> so which one, what movie are we doing today? Because we did, uh, what did we do last time? We did... Raiders um, of oh, the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. So which one, what movie are we doing today? The, another iconic 80s movie. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters! Oh, Ghostbusters. That's right. The 1984 movie, Ghostbusters. Not the 2016 Road Smash. Although we probably will make some um, shout outs to that. Yeah. I mean, we did watch the, we did watch the 2016 version. It wasn't a complete Road Smash. I kind of liked it. Okay. I'm, I'm not saying it's a complete Road Smash. Um, but there is definitely one character, Holtzman, that I'm ready to just jump through the screen and, and keep the living crap out of. <laughs> Although See, you did just call it a road smash, so that's not true. Well, okay, but the thing is, well, what really made it a road smash for me was her. Yeah, she I know. I didn't way care over for her either. Everything that she was doing. She had I mean, a couple she, of good moments, but for the most part, she was just unnecessarily stupid. I think technically she was trying to be a, um, well, they tried to write her in as a Venkman. As a, as a yeah, little... but Venkman wasn't creepy like that. No. Well, no, he was creepy, but he wasn't as stu- he wasn't stupid. Yes, correct. Well, well part... and she wasn't stupid either, but she was just so inappropriate. She wasn't stupid. She was the most annoying character on that entire movie. Yes, but she wasn't stupid. She was a freaking genius, honey. She's the one who created the, the proton packs. Yeah, well, that being said, I, I don't know. I just, that, she just made that movie just, I mean, okay. Okay, we're not thing. talking about that movie. Okay, but I'm just going to say as, as comparison, right? So the woman who played Holtzman, she was acting in the, stratos- in this, in the stratosphere, right? Mm-hmm. But she could, if she just brought it down to maybe a couple of meters off the ground, yeah, or a couple of feet off the ground, she would have been fine. But acting in the stratosphere, I'm sorry, she annoyed the crap out of me yeah i agree i agree so we are going to be reviewing the 1984 american supernatural comedy film ghostbusters directed by ivan reitman Reitman. by dan Aykroyd and harold ramus oh veil harold ramus yeah and i did actually in a quick comparison what did i see when we were watching you caught okay the one of the things that i did absolutely love about the 2016 version was the cameos by all of the original cast and you caught harold ramus's cameo right in the beginning yeah at the university yeah, so when you when you see Abby's office and when she is coming, when the uh, dean of, of students is, because well, she's going up for tenure, mm-hmm. and so when the dean of the university leaves her office, 
there's a gold bus statue. Bronze, actually. Bronze statue, sorry. Um, right in, in her doorway, like facing her doorway. Yeah. So as he walks out, the camera stays on that for about maybe two or three seconds. And you Not actually even. Get, you get to see Harold Ramis. But it's of Harold in, Ramis. In his, in his bronze statue. As an homage to him. Yep, and and I and I love the fact you know so and I love the fact that the characters weren't who they were in the original film, like Annie Potts, but, but they were, but they weren't. Yeah, because like Annie Potts was the concierge at the hotel. That's right. Yeah, you know, as opposed to the receptionist for the Ghostbusters, um, Dan Aykroyd was the cab driver. Uh, cab driver, and I ain't afraid of no ghosts, which was and, just and yeah. Bill Murray was the skeptic. Bill Murray was still a dick. No, but he was the skeptic on the TV. Yeah, show. but he was a dick in the first one and he was a dick in the second one. <laughs> <laughs> and um but I you know and 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 even things like Slimer and the the I think my favorite was the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Um oh His yeah. His cameo is the, is the Macy's balloon. Yeah, that's right in a balloon phase. And yeah. and and he fell on them and it took a um Aaron with the Swiss Army knife to pop it to get them out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did actually. I, you know, and it was also really nice because Sigourney Weaver did the last part of it because she was Holtzman's apparently um, instructor, mentor. mentor sorry. Yeah. And, yeah, she wasn't actually in the film. She was in the credits. Yeah, well, yeah, she was in the last part of the credits. And Winston Zeddemore was the owner of the funeral company that they were borrowing the No, Winston from. wasn't, but Ernie Hudson was. Oh, his, Ernie Hudson, yeah, but his character. I, yeah. I always look at him as Winston Zeddemore. Right, but the fact is is that no one was their original character. They didn't have the same name or anything else except for maybe Mr. Stay Puffed and Slimer. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, but even Ecto-1 made, it, made a reappearance and... It was just, it was awesome. I, I know, and I think that was like my favorite part of the film was the way they just integrated in the homage and the line and some of the classic lines into the the second film was really trying to pay respects in a lot of ways to the first film. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I thoroughly. I mean, as I said, there was just there was parts of the movie that really got me really annoyed. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm sorry to say, but it it, it does come down to, um, you know, Holtzman. She was just unnecessary. It was well, almost like, like when they... she was licking the the proton gun. Yeah, it's like come on. Yeah, it was just it was just too over the top. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, if you're yeah. gonna try and be uh, Bill Murray, here's an idea: cast Bill Murray as a Ghostbuster and leave you out of it because you're not a Ghostbuster. Well, that's see, but that's the thing is, it wasn't her trying to be Bill Murray. It was her trying to be, you know, this unique, quirky, crazy character. But it just came off as gross. And as I said, she was acting in the stratosphere rather than acting a couple of feet off the ground. Well, honestly, it's a lot like the like Jim Carrey's early work. Yeah. Which, yeah. quite honestly, I couldn't stand him for the first few years that he was on the scene because it's like, Wah! all the time. Yeah. And then he did things like Liar Liar. Yeah. In the hands of a good director, someone like Jim Carrey is absolutely genius because they hold him back and they just release that zany craziness for just the tiniest amount a little bit here and there and it's really effective like liar liar you saw that element of him but the majority of it you're like wow jim carrey can act yeah see i was one of the poor people that went to see the mask at the movies oh. and along with um i also went to see 
uh, pet detective. And yeah, I'm sorry, sure. he was acting in the stratosphere and above. That. Yeah, and it's just not place. funny when it's like in your face all the time. Yeah, and it becomes a bit exhausting, and that's why Holtzman's right. character. But when you get something exhausting. like Liar Liar or The Truman Show, it's genius. Yeah, because he's, he, as you said, the director let him off the leash for a little bit, and then pulled him back on and said, "Okay, that's enough." Now that now that being said, there was a moment in Ace Ventura that was a genuine laugh out loud moment for me. Yeah, which one was which that? Which is when they were doing, re I forget what they were researching at the mental hospital. And he essentially was like the undercover thing where they were trying to have him committed. And you ah. see him out the window and he's wearing the tutu. That's right. Yeah, that was and, and it was only hilarious because they did not draw attention to it. Yeah. That's the only reason why it was funny. Yeah. But other than other than that, it, it became a bit exhausting. Yeah, and, and as I said, this I, is... I have one of those moments in the movie Roxanne with Steve Martin and Daryl Hannah that is still to this day one of the funniest things that I've ever seen. That for some reason most people just don't remember. But we'll talk to that when we do Roxanne. So let's get back to the 1984 Ghostbusters, which is why we're here today and why what everybody wants to hear. Okay, for some reason I've got a photograph of you up there. You go on the on the screen. Honey, this is an audio show. They don't care about the video. Okay, well, that's fine. I was just concerned. That was all. Okay, so we're going to start with, um, okay, so as you said, 984. It stars Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Howard Ramos as Peter Venkman, Ray Stance, and Egon Spengler, a trio of eccentric parapsychologists who start a ghost-catching business in New York. The film also stars Sigourney Weaver and Rick Marinus and features Annie Potts, William Atherton, and Ernie Hudson in supporting roles. And now, it had the cop from Die Hard in it. Yes, it did, and and Family Matters. Well, I don't care about that. I just know no, him from no, Die Hard. No, I loved him in Die Hard. There might be somebody in America that sits and goes, "Oh, that's right. This is where he started. He was thin and young, and and this was his first, you know, half a sneeze debut into the movie." Yeah. But yeah. Everyone knows him from Die Hard as a police officer. Yeah, I loved him in Die Hard. Do you want to have a guess of how much money this movie was originally the budget for was? Not a clue. Okay. It was between 25 to $30 million. Okay. Right. Do you want to know how much it took at the box office? $78 million? $295.2 million worldwide. Wow. It, okay. So, so it, was, it, it was certified blockbuster? Oh, absolutely. And it, uh, it was, and it basically, obviously, see, they did um, Ghostbusters 2, which was, uh, you know. Let's not go there. Then they did the um, 2016 re reboot, but now they've actually redone it. We're doing it again with Ivan Reitman at the helm, and he's doing Ghostbusters Afterlife. That's being I cannot wait to see that. Yeah, this is going to be great when it comes out because, yeah, and it was released on June the 8th, 1984 to critical acclaim and became a cultural phenomenon. And it really did because remember the, yesterday we watched that little thing about bringing Ecto 1 back to life? Mm. Now I, I've always said that that car was a big star of the of the movie. It really was. When you first see Ecto coming out of the Ghostbusters um, headquarters and tearing down the road, I'm I'm sorry, it's such an iconic you know vehicle. And I even made a, a comment to you that Dan Aykroyd has driven two of the most iconic cars in in cinema, which mm, was the Bluesmobile, the Bluesmobile, and Ecto One. Yep. But yeah, that was just absolutely phenomenal. They were able to bring that car back to its former glory 
and Dan Aykroyd, as as we saw, to even took it for a spin around the around the block uh, yeah. in LA. Yeah, you know, they, I said being an actor isn't fun. Oh, it is absolutely would be wonderful. Well, the that. well the guys at the Hollywood Car Place, which I can't remember the name of it, but the ones who do all the restorations and where they get all of the period cars for for different TV shows and movies and things. When they heard that that Dan Aykroyd was coming, it's like the entire place turned out, going, "Oh my gosh, can I meet him too?" <laughs> Oh hell yeah! I was thinking maybe he was actually going to maybe sign a glove box or or sign something in the car to he say he probably he, did, and they just didn't film we it. We just didn't see it, yeah, because yeah. that would have been very very a great idea. I th I think it would be very rare that he wouldn't do that. Yeah, I, and, I'd love and, to meet him. Dan Aykroyd, as far as everything I've heard, is he is just like a really super nice guy. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to meet him. It'd be it'd be a wonderful to, to sit down and have a talk with him. About yeah, he's had quite the career. Oh, absolutely. His film career, you know, from Blues Brothers all the way up to what he does now. So, yeah. So the plot of the movie starts with Peter Venkman, Ray Stance and Egon Spengler, the parapsychologist professors at the Columbia University investigating the paranormal. Following their first encounter with a ghost manifesting at the New York Public Library, the university dean fires them and dismisses their credibility of the research. Yep. This is the opening part of the movie. Yeah. And and I have to say, I love that opening bit where they go to talk to her and she's just like, shh. Did you find a couple of scenes or one scene in particular very, very um, ooh, disturbing? And why would you even ask that of somebody? Oh, you mean like when they're talking to the librarian? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this just sets. Okay backtracking even backpedaling even before this when we first meet Venkman he's doing that um ESP test with the two students yes and he's shocking the guy and he's not doing anything to the girl and he's basically hitting on this co-ed oh he big time is hitting you on know him. and it's like not only is that creepy as hell inappropriate as hell he could lose his job just for doing that yeah even now in the 80s it was not acceptable to date students well, no. I mean, there were obviously, you know, do you remember we saw um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and the girl ended up by by um, living with her uh, psychology professor. So obviously back in those days, in the 80s, it wasn't uncommon that the women and, and you know, college students were actually having, having affairs. No, it was. If anybody, okay, if they are, okay, it's it's not acceptable university policy for professors to date students. If yeah. they are a direct student, as in in their class, yeah. they will lose their job and potentially go to jail if it's found out that they're having sex with a student. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's a big deal. Well, and that's one of the things that annoys me about these movies from the 80s is they try to pass it off as no big thing. And it's like, no, it is a big thing. So as we go along, we've got some some fun facts of the movie. So this is the first fun fact that we came across, right? So we always watch um, The Big Bang Theory. And The Big Bang Theory, when they were doing, there was a, a scene of the, of the Big Bang show, which was that they said that Bill Murray got it wrong when he was talking about... Um, his, negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement, right? So what Bill Murray should have said was he should have said it was positive punishment not re not negative reinforcement when it comes to his study of the effects of the ESP ability. That's what and he should have said. So apparently they did get it wrong. The the writer error was that they should not have put it as negative reinforcement. It should have been 
I am giving you positive punishment. For yeah, but nobody understands the concept of positive punishment. Everybody knows negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement. Yeah. But that was one of the things that fell down in, in the writing, which was, but, you know, as you did say, it is creepy as hell that he's hitting on this this girl. Now, even when, when the guy gets it right, because remember, he's showing the card. He still told him he was wrong and shocked him. Yeah. He wanted to get him out of the way so he could have a shot at the girl. Yeah, and when she said, "Do you think I've got it, Doctor Vinkman?" She and he goes, "Oh, you've definitely got it. You're not, you're no fluke, you know." And it's like when when Ray comes in, he goes, "Oh, I need a, a more time with this student. Can you come back in a minute, an hour, hour and a half?" Yeah, you know what he's going to be doing. Yeah, he's oh, be what he's trying to do, and it's just girl. like, I'm sorry, but that just ill. I know. <laughs> I mean, so, I, oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. If they had Chris Hemsworth or Hugh Jackman in that role, okay, no. yeah, maybe. But God, you justify <laughs> it then. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have just never found Bill Murray to be an attractive man. Oh. He is just not attractive to me. Oh, so, so if those, those two, either Chris Hemsworth or Hugh Jackman, or be even okay. Harrison Ford. Oh, it'd be okay for sexual assault. I mean, on. you can understand why all the girls are in Indiana Jones's class, right? Yeah, I understand. I well, I understand that from a female point of view that he that Harrison Ford is an attractive man. Yeah, so. but especially back in the day of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when they go and they're interviewing um, this poor librarian who was yeah, and then they're like, "Are you menstruating?" Are you? And she's like, oh, "For God's sake!" What part? I mean, you know, even the even the guy who runs the um, the public library says, "What's that got to do with it?" And well, Bigman comes up with, "Back off, man!" I'm a well, unf unfortunately, that also plays into the mentality of the day that if a woman is seeing something out of the ordinary, it has to be the you know she has to be menstruating. It has to have something to do with her female cycle because she can't actually be you know. She has to be imagining it. She's just irrational. She's, you know, uh, you know, emotional. I just thought that it was so incredibly um, inappropriate. And it's, as I said, it is, and and it really speaks to the character of Vankman and how he just doesn't understand the concept of boundaries at all. Yeah, and the thing is that you know, I mean, when you watch it again, like we we're doing with all these movies that we're, we're going back and you know revisiting. It's only now that you suddenly pick up stuff that you didn't pick up when you first saw it when you were, you know, a teen, early twenties. You know, you didn't, you didn't pick up these little subtle things because it was funny and whatever. Well, yeah. You know, when someone goes, "Oh, you know, are you menstruating right now?" and everyone, like, you know, in the cinema would have giggled. But now, looking back on it and revisiting the way we're doing it, you're picking up stuff like, "Wow, you what no. you in 1984 you could not do in 2021. No. There's no way in hell." No. Can you imagine saying to anyone, any coworker, whatever, are you menstruating? The first thing you'd be doing is going straight to HR, you know, because they, they just wouldn't happen. And that was so unprofessional. Yeah, ridiculous. So in the event that they get fired, okay, do we want to talk about the ghost down well, in the... Well, yeah. Oh, She's okay. the first so, appearance. Okay, she starts so this whole thing. All right. So did you, did you like the... Uh, shh, can you smell something? I, oh yeah! Oh no 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 no! It's uh, okay. So the three of them are in the stacks, and they're looking at the books all stacked up and the card catalog all over the place, and the ecto, you ectoplasm. know, like cosmic snot. The ectoplasm. Yeah. Someone blows their nose, and you want to keep it? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like exactly. to analyze it. And I'm right there with Bill Murray on that one, where he's like, "Ew, get off me!" <laughs> <laughs> like, Ugh. And then they see her, and she's a floating torso, fully formed. 
And they're like, okay, well, go talk to her. And they send Bill Murray out because, well, he has women's skills. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Insert eye roll here. Women's skills. Yeah. Right and here. he walks over and he starts to talk to her. And she looks around and she's like, shh. Yeah. Where are you from originally? <laughs> oh, oh, I, oh, yeah. But actually before that, before just before they saw her, Egon is like, shh. Did you, did you hear that? No, it was Ray. No, no. Egon says, did you hear that? And then Ray says, oh, did you smell something? No. You smell that? That's not the, that's not the line. Okay, then what's the line? The line was, shh, did you smell something? Ray actually does that. And then, of course, uh, Bill Murray's character looks around like, what? But anyway, so then they pull back into the stacks and they're like, okay, well, we need a new plan. And Ray's like, um, I've got a plan. I know what we're going to do. And they go out and he's like, get her. <laughs> and then she charges them and they run out screaming. And it's really rather hilarious. That's right. Cause it, cause, and then of course, we're going to when... analyze the data and get back to you. <laughs> and of course, when they're walking out, you know, um, Bill Murray's character, Peter says, get her. That was your bit. That was your big scientific. That was your big idea. Okay. Yeah, big idea. Get her. <laughs> he goes, it was scientific. And he goes, mm, yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely scientific. <laughs> But when they go in and they, they um, approach So they get the back to the lab and the president of the university is there overseeing the packing up of their stuff so they can't take it with them. And yeah, and he goes, you know, you're being moved. And they, they're like, oh, so we're being moved to a better place on campus. And he goes, no, you're being moved off campus. We are no longer funding your, your group's activities and you're vacated immediately. You know, and it, it, as, as Ray said, you know, you know, you because when he was saying about when Peter said, oh, well, I've been, you know, it doesn't matter whether we've been fired or not. And Ray goes, yes, but you've been a student all your life. I've I've, I've worked in the private sector. They expect results, you know. And yep. he said, this is why I liked the university, because they were giving us money and we were able to just not produce anything. They we were funding. basically just sit there and head on co-eds and nobody cared. Yeah, because we didn't have to produce anything. Now we are going to have to produce stuff. Yep. So in the fact that they were actually did get um, fired, they decided to create Ghostbusters, a paranormal and elimination service operating out of a disused firehouse. And get a third mortgage on Ray's home, boyhood home that he inherited oh. from his parents at a 19% interest rate. I know. Like, even for the 80s, that's bad. Out. And of course, Ray did say, well, you didn't even bargain with the guy. I mean, you know, and of course, the the, the um, you know, Egon being the analytical person that he is, comes up with, well, the interest rate alone comes to $95,000 for the first year, year or something like that. And, and he's like, oh, okay. But I mean, three mortgages? Yep. Three mortgages on a house. Yep. I mean, uh, one of my family members who I remain nameless, I'll never say their name. Just go on. Um, you know, that she had three mortgages on her house. And I'm like, well, she would have to, I mean, to try and pay all three off to get a freehold home. Mm-hmm. You've got to be kidding me. Yep. People don't look ahead when they do that. But anyway, that's beside that's the terrifying. point. Let's, let's get back. To um, so they develop high tech nuclear powered equipment to capture and contain ghosts. Although business is initially slow, it really is initially slow. <laughs> the amount of stuff that they were actually buying just to play around with in their um yeah, let's speak to that for a moment because yeah. you look okay, so they get the firehouse which which they did which also made an appearance in the 2016 film at twenty one thousand dollar a month rent. ouch, yep, but we did actually see that again. They didn't say how much it was in the 1984 film. I wonder if they bought it. I think they did, personally. Because I'm thinking, 
because I'm thinking if they've got that amount of money, I mean, I remember when they, in the, uh, in this version, in uh, that we're talking about now, when the real estate agent takes them in there and is talking to them about, you know, this and that, and Egon says, I think, you know, this building needs to be condemned. It's, it's totally inefficient for our power needs. And, and the neighborhood is a, like a demilitarized zone. And Ray go and Ray is so excited to you know slide down the fireman's pole. And let's and, stay here tonight. Stay here we'll tonight. test it out. And of course, then they then Egon and Peter both look at each other and look at the real estate agent and says, "I think we'll take it." And she goes, yeah. "Good." So I'm thinking they bought the building. Well, that's the thing is they never actually said if they bought it or rented it, and yeah. they didn't say how much it was or even how much money Ray got for his mortgage. No. So but, they never actually tell you how much money. But that's really something we didn't need to know. No, it really wasn't. But that being said, when you're looking around um, the firehouse before they actually start um, doing, you know, getting the business, you see like three pinball machines and upright game machines next to each other and different things around the office. And it's like, well, if they're really hurting for money and don't have any clients, why in heaven's name are they buying these game machines? Because those are like several thousand dollars each. Yeah, and that was the first thing that you actually noticed that you're, yeah. you said to me, you know, with all the stuff that they've got, because the last part, you know, when they decide, when they actually do get their first um, uh, client, Dana Barrett, which is Sigourney Weaver's character, you know, um, Peter's like, oh, I think we need to draw some petty cash so I, I can take her out to dinner. And they're having Chinese food and Ray goes, uh, this is the last of the petty cash. Yeah, this, you know? this lovely piece that you see before us is the last, of the, represents the last of the petty yeah. cash. And it's like, okay, so they must have, I mean, so really to save money, they should have gone very basic to begin with and gone, okay, let's get basic stuff. We can buy all this stuff when we need to, but right now we don't need to. Well, basically, I think what happened was the uh, director and the set designer wanted to make it not look quite so empty. So they wanted to throw some stuff in there, but didn't bother to think that how much that would actually cost if they were to buy those to put in there. Yeah. And they should have really, I mean, I, I said this last night when we were watching this, that they should have thought to themselves, well, here's an idea. Um, let's hold money back until we actually get a client. Because up until this point, they've yeah. gone and bought, you know, that the, the Ecto they've they're going to be fixing up. And was that, and that was $4,800. Yeah. They, well, they refurbished Ecto. They've been paying for prime time commercials on New York One, which That's is right. not cheap. Yeah. Then they've got all these game machines. They've outfitted the office where, um, uh, oh God, what's her name? Annie Potts' character is going to be sitting. Uh, Janine. Oh, Janine, thank you. Um, so they've got all this stuff that they, they've got and all the electronic equipment and stuff. So they're really going all out for the possibility that they may get someone that will come Yeah, but let's get some clients first. Now, talking about Janine, the way she keeps hitting on Egon is almost as bad as Vankman with anything in a skirt. Yeah, I know. Except so, her. He doesn't yeah, so you really, her. We really can't be overly critical when it comes to the writing of the movie because they're sexually assaulting both male and female mm. uh, at this stage. Because you can tell that, that she doesn't, that she makes Egon very uncomfortable. Yeah, because Egon's really not taken up with the whole idea. He's he's so he's so into his science and things like that. Because I remember when she says to him, you know, do you have any hobbies? And he goes, like, I collect spores, molds, and fungus. You know, he is so into what he does. He loves being a scientist. See, I always took that line as I'm trying to turn you off. 
Well, no, because she she says, well, I play racquetball and I do this and I do that. Right. And he says, do you have any hobbies? And he goes, um, yeah, I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Yeah, and he's trying to basically say to her, ew, don't get away from me. Yeah. And he, and That's not his real hobbies. He's just trying to make her not be interested in him because she makes him very uncomfortable. Yeah, and a couple of the times when she does try to really ramp up the whole, you know, I'm very into you sort of situation, even when she goes to hug him, he basically has that, yeah, I'm not. It's almost like a Sheldon hug, like he's so uncomfortable getting Oh, my God, hug. get out of my head. I was just thinking he's a bit <laughs> like Sheldon. <laughs> well, this is what happens when you're married for a length of time that we are. We actually are on the same wavelength. Yeah. So, hey, what the hell? After a paranormal encounter in her apartment, uh, cellist Dana Barrett, calls the Ghostbusters. Now, we were saying about how much money this this penthouse would have cost. So she must oh, have been a yeah, really... So she had one of four penthouse apartments on Central Park West overlooking the park. On the 22nd floor. On the 22nd floor. And it was huge. Like the size of her kitchen is the size of most New York City apartments. Yeah. So That's this what you're easily, even back in the 80s, would have been five to seven grand a month for that apartment. So she must have been a very, very talented cellist. I guess either that or in here or, or an heiress or something, because I doubt I doubt that it's a rent controlled apartment. I mean, it could be, but I doubt it. On Central Park West? I mean, I've, I've always heard that Central Park West is extremely expensive. That's like the address to have. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way. That's where Donald Trump wants to live. Oh, please. Well, then the then the entire place is going to go downhill, isn't it? Well, let's not go there. But, the thing but, is but what that... I'm saying is that people with money, that you, Central Park West is the address. Yeah. And when the, when the, as we go through the movie and as things happen and the entire part of, you know, one part of the apartment is blown out, you can see the, um, where, what she overlooks. Yeah. Like it's enormously, and in the, it's gorgeous as far as the 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 view goes. Yeah. So, I yeah. That's I what you're paying for is that view, but to have that much space in Manhattan is it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So as she recounts opening her refrigerator and seeing a demonic dog-like creature that utters a single word, Zool. Zool. Ray and Egon research Zool while Vinkman offers to inspect Dana's apartment in a failed attempt to seduce her. Let's talk about the very first creepy uh, part of this movie. Okay. To begin with, she's a client, yes, potential client. Yes. Okay. And he is trying to get her into bed when he first meets her. Not even having had a date. Within the first couple of hours. Yeah. That's the bedroom. Nothing ever happened in there. Oh, well, that's a shame. That's a crime. What a crime. Yeah. And it's just like. Ugh. And the thing is that what I found really creepy, and as we go along, I've got some more fun facts about how creepy he, he's become. Um, when he says to her, uh, you know, I come home and I've got, you know, I've got my work and that's it. Um, and I now I suddenly meet someone like you and you've got the same thing. So I'm going to go for broke and say, I am madly in love with you. Yeah, Did that you... was like within two hours of meeting her. Yeah, I'm sorry. And, and I'd love to be expletive on this on this podcast, but I'm not because this is a family podcast. But I will say, give me an effing break. I've had guys in my life when I was single move fast and say I love you way too soon. But that was usually because it was like within the first month or so. Well, that's hyper speed at the best. Not the time. first couple of hours. No. 
And the thing is that she that he is because re- remember when she was um in being interviewed by the Ghostbusters, and um they go through the okay well I'm gonna uh, Ray goes well I think we should look for um the history of the building and I'll go down to the Hall of Records, and Egon goes well I'll look in Tobin's spirit guide to see what where the name yeah. Zul comes out, and Peter comes up with here's an idea I'll go back to Dana's apartment, apartment check, and her, check out. her out I mean check out her apartment yeah and it's like ooh yeah I'm sorry. And and this is why. and 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 Dana Sigourney Weaver was being the perfect representative of what a lot of women go through dealing with guys like this, and but were raised to be polite. Yeah, because when he says I'm going to go back to Dana's uh, Miss Barrett's apartment and check her out, she gives him this look like, uh, "Excuse me, what?" You see, and and honestly, what she should have done was been like, "Could somebody else come with me?" Yeah, I'm but not but in that you're just raised to be polite, and you're like, yeah, okay, I guess they know what they're doing, so I'll just go along with it. Yeah, but as we as we both know, when he gets into the apartment and go, you know, proclaims proclaims his love for her within the first hour, is like, come on, man, give me. Yeah, a break. it just you know? that and, to me and, that and was just said, incredibly bad writing. But you know, as I said, you know, when we were kids and we were watching this movie, that was hilarious because when he's he's being pushed out of the apartment. He goes, what, no kiss? And yeah, you think, and you're just like, ew. You think that's, I you mean, know, you say ooh, but you think that's funny, right? Now, as adults, you look at it and go, that's just creepy. Yeah, he's like, just, and, man, that's the guy's a restraining order waiting to happen. Oh, my, yeah, and he definitely, it was a definitely a failed attempt to seduce this. Yeah. And um, the Ghostbusters are, are <laughs> okay. So remember when they um, get hired to um, get rid of Slimer at the um, <laughs> at the hotel, Sedgwick Hotel. Yep. A very gluttonous spirit. This one is Slimer. He is <laughs> who, I mean, who was so, who became a friend in the cartoon version of the show. I'm so glad that that Slimer actually made it into the 2016 one because that was I know he was his girlfriend. That was hilarious. But yeah, so they now. We were actually just watching something a minute ago about the comparisons between the different scenes when they're they're going into the the elevator and the guy goes, oh, so what are you guys supposed to be some sort of cosmonauts? And he goes, oh, no, 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 there's someone saw a cockroach up on a cockroach up on twelve, and he goes, man, that should be that's some cockroach. And of course, they're going in the elevator and they're all complaining about the fact that, oh, you know, I I feel we should have actually tested this equipment. I blame myself. And Peter goes, why worry? We're both, we're all wearing unlicensed nuclear accelerators on our backs. And of course, Ray goes, yep, well, no, no need Might to worry as well about switch that. me on. Switch me on. And you get that, that, that low, rrr, 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 and, he, and of course they all go, oh shit, moved. <laughs> moved yeah, to the my side favorite away. part is how they just kind of move to the other side of the <laughs> elevator. Like that's going to save them. <laughs> if there's an explosion, everyone within that um, elevator is going to be. Everybody within a square mile is going to be vaporized. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but I just love the look on their face and how they kind of just inch over to the other side of the elevator. Oh my God. <laughs> I love um, that moment. So having failed a. <laughs> to probably test their equipment, Egon warns the group to never cross the energy streams of their proton packs weapons as it could cause a catastrophic explosion. Okay, now, the way they crossing it to begin the with, streams is bad. Got it. Good safety tip, Egon. Yeah. But as but remember how they accidentally tested their equipment? They're standing out. Oh, right. Within that poor maid. <laughs> she gets out. Of, they're just standing there looking to see what, where they're going to go or what they're going to do. And they hear the squeaking from behind. Right, what's the first thing they yeah, and what's the first thing they do? They fire upon this poor lady. Yeah, good job. Through. She hit the floor. Yeah, and of course it rips through the the side of the um the wall and everything. 
And she's like, what the hell are you doing? And he goes, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. We thought you were someone else. And basically, (laughs) (laughs) there's a small fire going on on the ground. And And she's spraying it with her water bottle. (laughs) Trying to to put it out. It's a roll of toilet paper that's on fire. Yeah, but it was also the corner of the, the, um, the wall as well. I thought it was just, I thought it was the corner of the wall. I didn't think it was a toilet paper. No, the one on the floor was the toilet paper. Oh, it was a toilet paper. Oh, I thought it was the part of the wall. There was wall on, there was a fire on the wall where they yeah. where they hit it, but there was also a, a roll of toilet paper that they blasted off of the cart that fell on the ground and was on fire. Oh, that's right. And then the the classic line, I think we should split up. Yeah, well, I think we can get do more damage that way. That way. <laughs> yeah. And then poor old uh, Peter gets uh, slimed by Slimer coming around the corner. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> with a classic line that is etched into everyone's psyche and remembrance of what did he say? I don't remember. He slimed me. Yeah. How can you not know that that's actually part of the part of the movie? Do you know how much I've done today? Oh, you're fine. She's fine, everyone. She's just look at her. She's coming onto her second wind already. It's four thirty in the afternoon. I've been going strong since six thirty this morning, and he's like, Let's do the podcast. Let's do the podcast. Well, I like to keep everyone up to date with our blockbuster movies that we're doing. Okay, can we get back to the movie now? Yes, we can. Um, so, okay, so... Um, <laughs> All I can think is when Slimer hit him, I really hope he had his mouth closed. Oh, yeah. Well, he Ew. had a little, had a little bit... <laughs> he had a little bit that went into his mouth, I'm sure, because he's, he's sitting there... He's, he's there spitting stuff out, and he's like... Oh, I feel... okay, let's get off the slime. And he's like, I feel so funky. <laughs> let's get off the slime. That was just gross. But of course, it go they, it goes down. Uh, Slimer goes down into the ballroom, and of course, they cause destruction like you wouldn't believe. Uh, after that promising that you won't even know we were here. Oh my god! And it was there was a midnight banquet that was going to be coming up, and this woman had booked the banquet room. I would guess at least a couple, maybe even six months in advance. Oh, at least that kind of place. And they go in there, and they're like, okay, and they start move. They start firing upon um, Slimer, and every firing that they're doing is either destroying tables, or destroying bars, or destroying walls. Don't forget the chandelier. And the chandelier. Was oh, the don't worry, one. the table broke its fall. That's right. The chandelier was the first one that came down. Yep. That's when Egon says, "Don't cross the stream." And then, and then, and then you have Vankman doing that. I've always wanted to do this, and tries to pull the tablecloth out from under the settings. And look, the flowers are still standing. <laughs> And of course, then they have to put the um, energy pack, the the trap down. So they got to yep. move all the tables out of the way to get the trap ready. So to they're go. just throwing tables here and there. Oh my and god! The, and, and the poor manager of the hotel is like yelling for his, excuse me, security guy to go get the key because he's going in there. Oh god! And then, then of course, what do they do? They capture the ghost and and deposit it in the containment unit in the firehouse. We course, came. We, along- we saw. Oh, we kicked it. its ass. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that part of the movie. That was, and of course, when they're trying to figure out the um, the amount, he goes, "Okay, so you know, to entrap the beastie, it's going to cost us four thousand dollars, four big ones." Yep. But we're doing a, pro, a special this special week. on containment, proton rechargement, and that comes to one thousand dollars. He goes five thousand dollars. I that's I didn't realize it was going to be so high. I'm not going to pay it. Okay, and, we'll just put it back. Goes, we'll put it back. And he's like, no, 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 no. Now, of course, <laughs> they would have maybe at least done thirty-five, forty thousand dollars worth of damage in that room. Easy. Oh, at least, at least that, that chandelier bar, was probably worth that. Yeah, and the bar was antique. That would have mm-hmm. come with the original Sedgwick ho- Hotel. So they have destroyed, and there's no way in hell you're going to get a, a banquet in there at midnight. The place yeah. is destroyed. Yeah. 
but so five thousand dollars to them. I mean, I could almost imagine the the um the hotel going, okay, we'll pay you the five thousand, and we're going to sue you for the extra sixty five thousand dollars that you've just destroyed our. But uh, the the good news though is they won't have to worry about that ghost again. No, I know, but it's like a small price to pay. Is it a sixty five thousand dollar destruction of a room? I guess that why not? Yeah. Uh, so they deposit it in the containment unit in the firehouse. Supernatural activities rapidly increase across the city, and the Ghostbusters become famous for their exploits. They hire. We've got one. Oh yeah, and yeah. When uh, Janine hits the, uh, the the button, uh, and and they come flying down. The fire alarm button. That's oh right. yeah, and then and then and then they're all sleeping there as well, and you get Ray's little. That was okay. That one was. As someone that watched it when I was a kid, and I actually went to see it at the movie, so I'm actually happy to say in 1984, within about four weeks of it coming out, I went to see this at the movies with my Ghostbusters t-shirt on. Because <laughs> I got the Ghostbusters t-shirt before I went to see the movie. Okay. So I'm watching this in the cinema with my Ghostbusters t-shirt on and loving every minute of it. Now, when that scene comes where the ghost is hovering above Ray and then disappears and then suddenly undoes his pants and, un and zips his fly... And he has that cross-eyed expression. And then his eyes roll back, back in his head. head. Yeah. As a kid, we had no idea what was going on. As an adult, we know exactly what oh, was yeah. going on. And it's just like, okay, well, now we know why it's PG-13. But I just wonder if any parents in that movie theater, when I was there, looked at their kids and went, I hope to God you don't know what is happening. <laughs> because I guarantee that mum and dad looked at each other and went, we know what's going Even on. Even as a sweet little innocent in 1984, I knew what they were doing. Well, I, I was 12, so I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> You're right. I didn't. I I, I I was a late bloomer, believe me. Yeah, I, well. When I say late bloomer, I was so late, the flowers had already bloomed and Okay, and and, and, and enough about your late blooming. <gasps> well, the, everyone needs to know these let's things. Move, let's move on. Um, so they end up by hiring a fourth member, Winston Zeddemore, to cope with the growing demand. So yeah, said, man, I'll believe anything you want if there's a steady paycheck, paycheck. in it. <laughs> Because Janine rattles off things like, do you, do you believe in extraterrestrials, astral travel, the, the theory of Atlantis, Loch Ness Monster? Telekinesis, ESP. Right? He's like, I will believe anything if there's a steady paycheck in it. And then, of course, it's like, you know, Ray comes in and he's exhausted from the night before because they are just out everywhere because suddenly there's a an enormous surge of paranormal activity through the city. And uh, Janine goes, oh, so this is the, your work order for tonight. And he goes, oh, great. Four more, three more uh, free repeaters. And she goes, oh, by the way, this is Winston Zenimore. He's here about the job. And Ray goes, yep, you're hired. Just come on. Because <laughs> <Yep. Here laughs> we can't do this by ourselves anymore. Yeah. We are absolutely exhausted. But, you know, and of course it, it is. It's becoming so much because all the paranormal activities coming from that we find out is actually Dana Barrett's apartment because this yeah. is where it, the, the actually origin, originated from. So this was the beginning of it, and it just progressed, you know, further out from there. Oh, but speaking of creepy little guys, we we skipped over Rick Moranis, her neighbor. Oh, and yeah, how he Lewis. hits on her every time she comes oh, by. Lewis would be so glad to get some of 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 her in bed. Not that he would know what to do with her, but he is just so enamored with her. I mean, to the point where she would, you know, at a party that he's thrown for clients rather than friends. The, the music is blasting. I mean, absolutely blasting from his apartment. And she creeps past. You, you couldn't hear a mouse fart as you know, in that situation. And what happens? Lewis throws open the door. Oh, Dana, it's you. And it's like, oh, yes, Lewis, it's me. You can see her going, oh, please yep. leave me alone. But yep. he is so enamored about her. 
I mean, even when he first, when you first see the Rick Moranis's character, and he goes, oh, "I just did a, uh, I, I re- recorded a thirty-minute workout on my VCR, and then played it back, played it back in high speed for ten minutes, and got a great workout." Yeah. And then she goes, "Okay, well, I've got to go, Lewis. Bye." And he goes, "Yep, I've got to go too. I've got to go take a shower." And just announces to her exactly what's going to happen and what he's doing in his life. Yeah. Well, he. I mean, he is a great life. character. He really yeah. is. Oh, Rick Moranis was so perfectly cast for that. You know, and and, and hats off to him because he really made that extra bit of of um, enjoyment in the movie. And as I've said, I've I've always loved this movie. But and the poor his... guy kept locking himself out of. <laughs> But I mean, and here's an idea which I found found interesting is that when he said to Dana that there was a problem with her TV, that her TV was on really loud. And he said, I tried to climb across the ledge to your apartment to let myself in to turn it down. They're 22 stories above Manhattan. Not just that, but he lives on the opposite side of the building. No, no, he lives on, he lives next door to her, doesn't he? No, he lives across the hall. He lives on if you're looking at if you're looking down the hallway, oh, he lives yes, on the left, does. she lives on the right. That's right, he does. He lives on the opposite side of the building from her. So exactly what was he trying to do to get out of out of his apartment in 22 stories up on Central Park West and try to go across yeah. to her apartment? Yeah. And then he goes, oh, so I couldn't do that. So I, I just turned, turned mine my up TV really up. loud so everybody would think there was a problem with all our TVs. Yeah, I didn't even see. This is something that you really get to start you know, noticing when you're actually watching it over again and really paying attention the way we do on this podcast. You can pick up these little things. Yeah. 22 stories. up. I don't care if the, if I'm hearing, you know, my neighbor's TV, you know, blasting. I'm not getting out of the apartment. 22 stories. Well, up he's only house. doing it so that she wouldn't get in trouble because he loves her. Oh, he is super sweet on her. Yeah. Absolutely super sweet on her. So suspicious of their operations, the Environmental Protection Protection Agency. The EPA. Yeah, the EPA. Walter Peck asks to evaluate their equipment, but is rebuffed by Vinkman. Because Vinkman's a jerk. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Okay, now this is something that I actually found interesting. So when he says to him, um, exactly what are you a doctor of? So he says, I am a doctor of psychology and parapsychology. Okay. Now keep this in mind as we go along the movie. Psychiatrists are medical doctors. Psychologists or psychologists are not. So he says, I'm, I'm a psychologist and a parapsychologist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Psychiatrists prescribe medication. Psychologists can't. Correct. Right. Okay. So just keep that in mind because uh, yes. as it goes. I know where you're going with this now. Uh, psychiatrists diagnose illness. Uh, diagnose illnesses, manage treatment, and provide a range of therapies for complex and serial men- serious mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Psychologists focus on providing psychotherapy, which is talk therapy, to help their patients. Okay? Yeah. So just keep that in mind as we go along as to why I would have said that. Yep. So when he says... A little foreshadowing what, there for you. Foreshadowing for sure. So he says, okay, well, you know, I need to see your, your equipment because there's a lot of rumors and I want to dispel any problems that they may have with an EPA situation. And he goes, well, no, you're not going to look at it. And he goes, well, I'll go and get a court order. And Vinkman says, well, go get a court order and I'll sue your ass for long, for wrongful prosecution. And of course just rebuffs him because, Hey, you know, but that, that, you know, this is, as I said, this is the foreshadowing that we've got coming up. And Vinkman is a jerk. Well, you say he's a jerk, but I think it's more along the lines of he's protecting his, um, his business. Yeah. But there are ways to do it without being such a jerk about it. Well, he does. Oh, say- okay. Because the EPA guy, yeah, he's 
a bad, you know, the bad guy. But he came in at this at, at, at one level and Venkman met him 10 levels higher. He started out, he was completely antagonistic from the get-go. He didn't even try to have a rational conversation with the man. Well, I think for, for Vinkman's situation, he wants to make sure that this guy's aware that you can't just walk over me because you're the EPA. He wants right, to make sure but that he could have some... done it in a way that wasn't incredibly antagonistic. Oh, I understand that. But, you know, you can see when he oh. does... Sorry, Oliver wants help. <laughs> does he? Okay. Well, I'll just sit here and talk to myself. Am I just talking to myself as I go along? No, I'm right here. Oh, okay. I'm so right I here. find. Are you just there? I so just I let find... him out of the room. Oh, okay. And now we, we we might hear him walking up and down the hallway. That's all. Yeah, he's going to do that. He's going to walk up and down past my. That's my... He was laying right here on the floor really nicely, but then I don't know what his. Obviously, is. he just wants to get out for a walk. Yeah. So it just seems to me that with with the way that Venkman is, he just wants to make sure that. And yes, there was a way that he could have approached it a lot differently. But when he does say to the, you know, Walter Peck, well, why do you want to see the protection grid? Because, you know, you're so interested in this protection grid. Why do you want to see it? And when he does say, well, I just, you know, there is rumors and I just want to dispel any rumors. He should have just taken it at face value. And maybe Venkman was wrong. And he should have said, okay, I'll let you see it. You know, you, you can't touch it. You know, you're not going to look, you know, I'm just going to take you to show it. But he does become antagonistic and basically does have that. Well, you know, I'm not going to show you and you're just going to get the hell out of this, this building. Yeah. So he does do the right thing where, where he does go, okay, well, if, if that's the way it's going to be, I will go to the, go to a judge and get a court order. But you know, it, he did approach it wrong in a lot of regards. He should have actually been a little bit more um, a, a willing to, to work with the EPA rather than be this antagonistic sort of person that sits there and goes, well, no, I'm going to be this and I'm going to be that. He should have just said to him, okay, no, I understand. If you want to see it, that's fine. We'll go down. There's other employees, you know, my other business partners that are down there. So they, they can see what you're doing and we can explain to you what it is and yeah. why we've got it there. Um, but just, you know, you will be gracious enough to show you just make yeah. sure you give us the same um, courtesy. And they could have potentially save themselves a lot of grief if they had just been a little bit nicer to this guy yeah exactly um so later egon warns that the containment unit is nearing capacity and dangerous surges of psychokinetic psychokinetic energy which is pke indicates that the city has turned into a supernatural hotspot now there was a and i didn't realize this and it was only through research that i looked that i found that there was a um a scene that was actually taken out of the movie and mm -hmm. Ivan Reitman took it out because he felt that it was actually slowing the movie down if you got to see it. But Venkman comes down the stairs and says to Egon, how's the containment unit? And he goes, it's getting crowded in there. It's, it's almost a capacity. There was originally a window that they, that Ivan Reitman had installed. And when I, when um, Peter Venkman opened it up, you could see all these ghosts inside of it. And it was like, it was like a huge room. And he was actually watching ghosts almost like basically going past the window as if they were locked in a, in a cell that they couldn't get out. And they were mm. actually, and he was saying that um, in the, in the scene, Peter Vinkman says, well, that's the closest thing to hell that I've ever seen. And that's where they, he felt that it, it actually slowed it down. So when he decided to recut the movie, he took that scene out when he just basically says about the, you know, you know about the Twinkie, about the fact that it's be, yeah. the PKE is just so huge and he says, you know, it, it's a, it's think of it as a Twinkie that's, you know, 
35 feet long. Yeah. And it weighs, you know, 10,000 pounds or whatever. Yeah. You know, and basically that's trying to explain to them how much energy is in that containment unit. But that was something that actually I found interesting on researching the movie is that, yeah, he took that scene out because there was no need for it to have it in. It was yeah. just, it just slowed it down. Although it would have been kind of cool to see. Oh, yeah. And and I've never seen it. It was just on the storyboard that they actually had. had yeah, I'd like to see that scene. It would have been great if they actually did put in all the uncut scenes. But yeah. Or all the well, cut we have scenes the Blu-ray. We should see if it's on the behind the scenes. No, it's not. It's not behind the scenes, unfortunately. Um, so Venkman meets with Dana and informs her Zul was a demigod worshipped as a servant to Goza, the Gozerian, a shape-shifting god of destruction. Because remember, she, he goes to meet her after a um, recital that she does. Yeah, where where he meets her out in the plaza. That's right. And he goes, oh, you're, you're, uh, you're the best one in your row. And she goes, oh, you're good. Most people can't hear me with an entire orchestra going playing, in the yeah. background. And then he, then he goes, oh, I don't need to take this, this uh, insult from you. I've got, I've got so many people wanting to insult me. Yeah. She goes, oh, yes, I know you're a, you're a big celebrity now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once again, okay, there's a guy standing there waiting for her. And Venkman looks at him and goes, well, who's the stiff? It's like, none of your business. Yeah. Well, that could be my brother. That could be my cousin. That could be the guy that I'm going to go and shag in an hour. Well, and that, and that's the thing is it was sort of hinted at that she was kind of seeing him. Yeah. I mean, it, they were obviously colleagues, but it was sort of being hinted that, that they were seeing each other. Yeah, and it's and it's got nothing to do with him. The thing is that it... This is where Vinkman makes it almost like his business to know what is going on with Dana. Well, and she's he's basically bullying her into going out with him and she's trying to laugh it off but is basically saying yes just to get rid of him yeah and i think it's almost along the same lines as being nice to to lewis she knows and she's not dumb she knows that lewis has got the hots for it well no they're trying to play it that that she and vankman start having romantic feelings for each other but it honestly just doesn't work yeah and if there are any any feelings it's one way Vinkman is well, no, so... they're trying to play it out that she's starting to develop feelings for him and that she's starting to become romantically interested in him. Did you get that feeling in the movie that she was even remotely I got that that's where they were trying to go with it, but I don't think it worked. No, it didn't. I didn't think that I didn't think that Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray had the greatest chemistry they don't. Uh, in the movie. They don't. Because... But that's where they were but that's where Ivan Reitman was trying to go with it is that she was giving into his charms. Yeah, and yet every part of that movie when I was watching it was saying something completely different. It was almost like, you creepy little ass. Yeah, exactly. Just leave me alone. And, of course, you know, when she says to him, you know, that well, that, that guy is one of the finest cellists in the world. Now, can you please tell me about my case? And, you know, it's all, and when he goes, well, I think, you know, we could, you know, get together maybe, you know, Thursday night, around about six-ish and, and she's like, I'm not going to go out with you. It's, it's, she's trying everything she can to get rid of him. Right. And then three lines later, it's like, oh, okay, come on over. I think, yeah. Now, this is something you even said to me, because when she actually is attacked in her apartment, when, when Zul actually attacks her, um, and when she gets a phone call from her mum, what does she say? I don't remember. Because when she says, yes, yeah, mum, I've got to go. I've got a date. Oh, yeah, that's right. And yeah. he, she goes, no, it's nobody you'd know. He's he's a Ghostbuster. And she goes, yes, right. The guy's on TV. Yeah. Now at not not one point because all he says is, I'll bring the um the the book over, and we can have dinner and eat and read. 
Yeah. So at no point did he say, I'm coming for a date. It's just right. I'm coming over to eat the eat dinner and read the book with you. Yeah, where he, he goes, now I can understand him trying to say, okay, well, that's actually a date and it's a way for me to get, you know, that foot in the door. But there's no reason why she should have considered it that way. Yeah. In fact, she even told um, Rick Moranis that she has a date. Yeah, she did. So now, now suddenly. I can, I can see her saying that to Rick Moranis to try and get him off her back. But I can't see her saying that to her mother thinking that she actually does have a date. Yeah. But exactly. like I said, they're trying to get you to think that she's starting to fall for Bill Murray's character, for Venkman. Yeah. But I couldn't see it. No. So when Dana returns home, she's possessed by Zul, and a similar entity possesses her neighbor, Louis. Oh, oh okay. Let's, let, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. She wasn't just possessed by Zul. There is some puppeteer that was one of the hands of the monster that grabbed her that gets to say that his claim to fame is that he got to grab Sigourney Weaver's boob. Yeah. Because she was grabbed into the chair and then sucked into the kitchen. And we don't know what really quite happened to her from there. Well, she was, yeah, I mean, I think she was just possessed right then and there by... Well, no, we know that she was, but we didn't yeah. know at that time what happened to her. All we know is that this entity took her. Yeah. Now, Very was, violently took her. Oh, big time. Now, before we get to... Oh, and, so, and we want to speak about Lewis's situation. So Lewis is throwing... <laughs> it's so cool. So Lewis is throwing a, a party for not friends, but clients, because he's actually celebrating his third year as an accountant. Fourth, fourth, fourth year, year as an accountant. accountant. And because he invited clients, the whole thing's a write-off. Yeah. And he, he, and he basically tells everyone their business as far yeah. as what's going on because they have uh, uh alan and annette fleming that comes into the party and he and says he oh, owns a small dry cleaning business and she's this and, and, that's in re and, and they, that's, they have this much left on their home and yeah and that's in receivership right now and she's she's uh, uh pulling a, a pension from a deferred pension fund and you know fifteen thousand left on the house so they're doing okay now when he got when he gets their uh their coats he throws them into the bedroom and there is one of the demonic dogs that are sitting on his bed and throws the, and the classic Just like line, the one that Dana saw in her refrigerator at the beginning of the film. Yeah. So throws the coats and it gets onto his, under the dog's head. And he goes, you know, does anyone play Parcheesi? And you hear this enormous roar from his bedroom and he looks- And he's like, stops, okay, who brought the who dog? Who brought the dog? And then suddenly this thing explodes out of his bedroom door. And of course- <laughs> Lewis runs out of the building. Leaves everybody at the party to the mercy of this vicious dog. And he, runs, he thinks it's a vicious dog and he just runs away. No, because he runs through the, the main lobby and he goes out the door and he he, he bowls, over, uh, bowls over the poor doorman and he goes, there's a bear in my apartment. Yeah. And they, they said, and of course the guy gets up and goes, a bear loose in his apartment. And then you see this thing explode past him, knocks him off his feet again and jumps over going into Central Park. My so favorite was Lewis trying to vault the fence. <laughs> <laughs> Legs go everywhere. He goes face planting into the ground. Because he can it? barely make it over the fence and the dog just hops over. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I'm telling you. I mean, I remember, as I said, going to the movies and this scene absolutely cracked up everyone in the cinema. Oh, my it's father hilarious. who my And then he runs over to that uh, pavilion in the park where everybody's having dinner and he's pounding on the doors and the windows trying to get somebody to let him in and, and they all just kind of look up at him and then go back to their dinner. 
Yeah, after he's attacked. Yeah. Now, my no, father, no, when he's just screaming before he gets attacked. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's and trying to like, get in. What the? Oh, okay, whatever. Because it's New York. That's some crazy, some crazy person's trying to get into the to the restaurant, and we're actually having a nice time. Yeah, and th but what's interesting though is when that thing attacks him, everybody at the apartment building could see it. Yeah. No one at the restaurant could see it when it attacked and possessed him. Yeah. Now that was something that I I remember saying to you, you know, because it's all a glassed you know, walls and everything, they would have actually seen him being attacked by this huge demonic creature. Now you said to me, hang on a minute. Did you see the dog? Like, did you see this creature? And I'm like, no. So at what stage did it, did it like disappear to attack him or. Cause I couldn't work out that part of the movie because it was almost like you could well, see we, the dog. We don't I mean, know how it worked for the possession. My personal theory is uh, they ran out of special effects money. So you just see him sliding down the glass door and then they all go back to their dinner. Yeah. Now, of course, Peter Vinkman arrives. But then again, it's like ma magic. You don't see it because you're not expecting to see it. So therefore it doesn't exist. Yeah. Now, uh, Peter Vinkman arrives at the apartment because it's date night. So he's going up. He's got a he's got a bunch of roses and he goes up to her apartment. And of course, the police are taking statements from all the, the guests saying that Lewis ran out. We don't know where he's from, where he's gone, whatever, you know. And, 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 and there's a, um, a a kid's tricycle in the hallway, which was yeah. rather random. Which is interesting because I wouldn't have thought that that place would have been allowing kids to ride up and down on their tricycles no. in the hallway. Well, no, the idea being that when that thing came crashing out the door chasing Lewis, that it dragged things out with it, like there was a chair and a couple of you know bits of clothing and this and this toy tricycle. So, Lewis, what are you doing in your <laughs> You, you know, apartment. and Lewis doesn't have any kids. And no, I don't what is he doing at the party? What's he doing with this tricycle? Yeah, <laughs> big wheels. What's he doing with the big wheels out in the in the hallway? That was, you know, or maybe it was just an homage to The Shining. Who knows? No, it could have been. I don't know. I mean, I I didn't never read that Ivan Reitman had anything to do with The Shining, so I don't know. Maybe but he just liked it. Maybe he liked it, but that was very strange. I didn't. But that was, but I was just like, of all the things that that thing could have dragged out into the hallway, where in the world did a big wheel come from? Yeah, because, yeah, I don't... Th there were oh. no children. No, I found that. I didn't... I, funny enough, I didn't pick up on that to begin with. It was only when they, when the Ghostbusters were going in to do the, the final battle with Zool that I saw the tricycle. I'm like, oh, that's interesting being there. But it doesn't it doesn't give you a second glance because it's just... Yeah, it's so things. fast you don't think about it. And, the, and half the place is destroyed anyway. Yeah. You just sit there and go, oh, okay. But suddenly there's this tricycle. So maybe it was. Yeah. Maybe he had some, maybe he had some friendship with the guy who did um, The Shining I don't and know. put it in there. But anyway, so Vankman gets to Dana's apartment and she opens it and she's got this very sexy look going on. Oh, yes. Are you Are the gate? You Are you the, the key, key master? master? And he goes, not that I know of. And she slams the door and says, well, no, the first thing is, well, that's a new look for you. Oh, that's right. And are you the key master? Not that I know of. Slam. Bang. Goes the door. <laughs> and then he knocks on it again and she opens up the door and says the are same Are you line. the key master? Yes. Yes, I am. I've, I'm a friend of his. I, I, he asked me to meet him here. And, of course, goes in and sees all this, the ecto, ectoplasm you know, dripping off of her, her stuff in, in the house, yep. in the apartment. And then she's looking at him going, you want this body? And he says to her, well, no, it, I've, it sounds like there's more than one person in there already. It might get a little bit crowded. Yeah. Now, what I was saying before, Peter Vinkman 
is not, and I repeat, just for anyone who's listening to this podcast, he is not a doctor that's got access to he's drugs. He's not a psychiatrist. He's a psychologist. And he's got no access to drugs, right? No. None whatsoever. So now, with everything that's going on, and of course, she levitates off the bed, uh, off the bed, because he says to her, "I want to talk to Dana," and he and she comes back with, "There is no Dana. There is only Zool." Uh, and now he come says, on, the voice. "There is no Dana, only Zool." Oh, very good. Thank you. <laughs> so, it's not like she, I should give you a cookie. Yes, please. <laughs> so as she levitates off the bed. You know, he's looking at her from above or from below and says, please come down. And she growls at him, this big roar at him, right? Now, obviously, at some point, he, he gets her to stop levitating and comes down onto the bed. Now, he calls back to, to base. He calls because... Um, well, okay, so, so while this is going on, back at the Ghostbusters headquarters, the police have brought Lewis because Bedlam doesn't, Bellevue doesn't want him. And, and they, the police, they're afraid to put him in the lockup. Yeah, and they're afraid to put him in the lockup, so they brought him here. And they've got that thing on his head that shows a, a scan of him. It, like It looks like a heat scan, and it's the dog thing showing up on the monitor. Yeah, the creature's there. Yeah. But wherever he looks, you can see that the, the, the dog's looking... The yeah. Same way. Yeah. You know, so so you can tell that he is being possessed by this thing. And Peter calls in to say what's going on with Dana and tells them that I just shot her up with 100 milligrams of Thorazine. Now, where the heck did he get Thorazine? Now, the thing is, now, this is one, one thing that, and it never, when you first watch this movie as a kid, even you don't take, pay, take note of this. Okay. Thorazine is a, um, Obviously, it's something to put you to sleep. Okay. He says, I've shot her up with 100 milligrams of Thorazine. She could get a guest spot at Wow Kingdom. Now, she is knocked out. Yeah. So, at what point did he decide, going into this date, that he was going to bring a syringe full of Thorazine? What was his intentions? Yeah. Good question. Was his intentions to date rape her? That's That would be my guess. Because when he arrives at the apartment... Because why else would he have Thorazine on him? Right. So he's when he drives at the Illegally. apartment... Okay, so he's not driving his own car. He pulls up in a taxi cab, mm -hmm. right? He goes up into her apartment. He's just carrying the flowers. He's got nothing else on him. So he would have had the Thorazine in his jacket pocket at some stage. So some yep. stage during the night, he's going to decide that I've been throwing myself at her. She's rebuffing my advances. So I'm going to stick her with Thorazine. I'm going to knock her out and I'm going to basically... Raper. Yeah. And so when you first see this movie, you don't don't get this idea of like, because oh, I first thought Dr. Vinkman was a doctor doctor. Yeah. He, he's got access. But in researching this, as I did going into what he actually is, because he's only a psychologist, he's not he's not to do a psychiatric situation. He's got no access to drugs. He doesn't no. carry Thorazine on him. No, that's Ill it, and, it's and illegal he, for him to do that. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't walk into Danny's apartment with a doctor bag. He just walked in with flowers and technically assault. And he was going to basically rape her. Yeah. So it's either his his either intention was, and I love Bill Murray. I lo love his character in this movie. He is just absolutely wonderful. But it really starts to make you question certain things when you actually see this movie again. Yeah. He's either going to do one of two things. He's going to persuade Dana to sleep with him, or he's going to rape her. Either yeah. one, he's going to get what he wants. Okay. And then, unfortunately, this does lend itself to the fact that Ray, that um, Peter's character is really, really creepy. And based on his other behavior, it wouldn't surprise me at all. 
Yeah, for the fact that he's already said to her in the first hour of his meeting, I'm in love with you, and he's yeah. been throwing himself at her continuously. Now he's got Thorazine? Okay. Wow. Okay. Yep. Okay, so so they bring so they Lewis. Yes, yeah, so they, they bring Lewis back to the to the um ghost her apartment headquarters. Now, unfortunately, Walter Peck, the EPA. Oh, no, uh, that's right. He didn't. They didn't bring him back. He escaped. No, no. Because what happened is when Lewis is in there, um, Egon's doing a whole lot of tests on him. And at this stage also, um, the EPA arrives, Walter Peck, and he wants to shut down the containment grid. And, of course, Janine basically stops him and goes, I need, you know, I, you, I've seen TV. You need to have a warrant or a writ or something. And he says, basically tells her, I've got a court order. I'm going down in the basement. And, he's, and of course, Peter also does arrive at that stage and goes down in the basement as well. Walter's already said to him, said to, to um, Egon, I want to turn off the protection grid. And Ray said, and of course, Peter says to him, don't turn it off. I'm warning you that whatever you do, if you turn this off, we are not going to be held responsible for what's going to happen. Yeah, it's on and you. And he says, I'm going to turn it off anyway. And he says, okay, go for it. And you see Egon's little um, expression of, boom is going to happen they yep. know what's going to happen so in the ensuing situation when they turn it off and the the red lights flashing as if to say you're now in deep doo-doo right now the explosions start happening in the ghostbusters headquarters the roof explodes and all the ghosts are being let out of the containment unit lewis escapes and he runs away and he's trying to find and he's following all the ghosts and you see a magnificent um, view of the Manhattan skyline. I love it when he stops the... and talks to the the horse that's doing the horse drawn carriage, saying, "Are you the key? Ma are you the gatekeeper?" The gatekeeper. That's right. <laughs> and you go, and of course, the guy who's riding him goes, "I'm the one that makes the deals." He pulls the wagon. You want to ride? And just gives a little, little look look at him with the red eyes and goes, <laughs> looks at him and goes, and the guy goes, "What an asshole!" <laughs> when he runs away. <laughs> But yep. the scene I'm talking um, the scene that I'm talking about is that when you see the explosions happen and all the ghosts have been released out of the containment unit and you see the big um view of Manhattan as all the ghosts are flying between yeah. the buildings, basically heading towards Dana's apartment. This is where Lewis is going. He's following all these um ghosts. So he knows what's gonna happen. Now yep. because Venkman already has met the gatekeeper, he says, and of course then, you know, what happens? Egon says, where's the key master? And they're like, oh, shit. Because they know that if those two yeah. get together, there's going to be a hell to pay. Yep. And, of course, that's when they're arrested by the um, by the EPA saying that this explosion is a direct result of why we, sh we wanted to shut you down in the first place. Of course, they have to then go in front of the mayor. Well, they don't have to. The mayor decides for them. he wants to see them and says, you know, okay, I agree with what's going to happen. You know, but yeah, you know, if this doesn't happen, what do you what is gonna what am I gonna do? And he goes, Well, Peter says, Well, we'll go to jail peacefully and quietly and we'll enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, if, but... if you if you let us shut this down or, or whatever and nothing happens, we'll go to we'll go to jail peacefully, quietly. We'll enjoy it. But and if, if we not, can stop this, then you will have then chaos of biblical proportions, dogs and cats sleeping together. <laughs> Mass hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> but you know but my, my favorite moment though But what sells it? My favorite moment in this entire scene is when he's like, look, Lenny, baby, <laughs> think of it this way. If we're right, you will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters. And that's what sells him right then and there. <laughs> and then the mayor's like, points at Peck and goes, lock him up, get him out of here. Get him out of here. <laughs> 
you think to yourself there is exactly right so uh, we've also forgot to say that lewis's character well lewis has been turned into vince cloto the key master of goza right and and so he gets up to dana's apartment he gets up to dana's apartment are you the key master are yes, you the gatekeeper she goes he goes i uh, i'm vince vince cloto the key master of goza are you the gatekeeper and she goes uh what is he how did they say it i'm trying to say uh well, basically what ends up is they end up having sex yeah, they did big time. He was yeah. very happy about that. Too bad he doesn't remember any of it. I know. Lewis <laughs> has this look in his face like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> the, no, it's the hair. Hey? It's the hair. Oh, the hair definitely stands <laughs> up on end in more places than we, we care to talk about. Yeah. But he was very happy about the fact that he finally got to. But as you said, he, um, he's got he no recollection of what's of going on. So in jail, Ray and Egon reveal that Dana's building was designed by Evo Shandor leader of a Goza-worshipping cult to function as an antenna powered by concentrated spiritual energy to summon Goza and bring about the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. So yep. this is what I was saying. So he get the, so they get faced. Yeah. So um, the guys get back to Dana's house or yeah. Dana's so apartment so they, so they arrive at the Dana's apartment and they decide that instead of using... Okay, so this is another thing. People were always saying, why the hell did they not use the elevator? Because the elevator were taking you from ground floor to 22nd in a space of you know maybe oh yeah remind me when we get to floor 22 or 20 oh, i want to throw up i'm gonna throw up <laughs> so in the original thing um ivan reitman was saying that the reason that he made it decide that he was going to get them to to walk up the stairs is because his thought was well if the ghostbusters are in the building and obviously goza knows this she could have shut down the power on them yeah which would have trapped them in the building in the elevator in the elevator and then she would have been able to put, bring the destruction of the world upon them. Yeah. So that's why he decided that. And in in one of these scenes that was originally cut, they go towards the the um, elevator, and Egon is the one that says, "No, no, no, I think we need to climb the stairs." And of course, the first person, Ray, says, uh, "Not Ray." Um, Peter says, Benjamin. "Listen, we can get in there a lot quicker by all piling into the into the elevator." The door opens up. Peter steps into the elevator, and the power goes out. He steps out of the elevator. The power is turned back on again. So you know what it, would have been really funnier, funnier is if um, they still had those little guys that ran the elevator, and it and it was a ghost. <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah, you know, a little skeleton he, guy. Yeah, <laughs> the little but, hat. <laughs> but when he steps out of the out of the elevator, the elevator turns back on again. So Peter does this one more time, and it turns off. So he looks at Egon, and he goes, "Okay, agreed. We'll go. We'll walk up the stairs." They should have left that scene in. Yeah, but as I said, it, they, Ivan Ryan. Yeah, but anyway, so they get up to Dana's apartment. It's been absolutely blown out. Yeah, this is why I was saying. The whole corner of the building's missing. And this is what I was saying about how what how what a wonderful outlook she had on from her view of her Oh, her apartment. view was amazing. That was, that was a, oh, was God, outstanding, that was yeah. So the Ghostbusters travel to the apartment building roof as Dana, Zul, and Louis Vins open the gates between dimensions and transforms into terror dogs. Goza appears in the form of a woman and attacks the Ghostbusters and then disappears when they attempt to retaliate. Now, it was really great when he says to, uh, when Winston said, well, I thought Goza was a man. And Vince and uh, Ray says, she's, or was it Egon that says, she can transform to whatever it wants yeah. to be. Um, but my favorite is they, they walk up and they're like, okay, 
So, you know, Gozer the Gozerian, go back into whatever dimension, blah, 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 blah. Are you a god? And of course, they look, he, she looks over at Peter and Peter's like, yeah, go and say it. Yes. And, and, and Ray's like, no. No. <laughs> then die. And shoots them across the, the, build, the top and of the building. And almost off the building. Almost off the building. And of course, Winston says his classic line. Ray, the next time that someone say, says, if you're a god, a god you, you say, say yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Vinkman goes, this chick is toast. And then, of course, fires they all fire at, um, their proton energy packs at them, which he does an amazing backflip into the air and lands behind them. And of course, right Vink, on the ledge. And Vinkman says, oh, nimble little minx, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. And then says, you know, aim for the flat top. She's got this really bad 1980s flat top hair. Yeah, big cut. time. And she just disappears. And you think, oh. And, of course, what's Pink, uh, Vinkman's idea? That was easy. Yeah, you know, they, and, they were all celebrating. Yeah. The game. We had the skill. We had the know-how. We had, we had the, the talent. Yeah. Yep. And then you hear the, the line above them in the clouds, which is goes of the Gozerian, goes of the Destructor, the Volcasil draw, the Traveler has come choose and perish and ray goes choose we don't understand what do you mean by choose and then she goes choose, choose the form of your the, destruction choose the form of the destructor and they're like okay we've got only got one shot everybody this. clear your mind clear your minds and then you, you have it. chosen yeah the choice has 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 been made the traveler has come and they're like no no whoa 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 we didn't i choose didn't anything. choose you didn't choose you didn't and then they ray, look and they go, what did ray, you do i couldn't help it it just Popped in there, because it was, and it course, was the, the, the sweet, the kindest thing from my childhood that I could imagine. He never Winston's hurt first, me. But the, Winston's the first one that goes, "What did you do, Ray?" Oh shit! <laughs> and she goes, "He goes, oh, there's something that I was thinking that couldn't possibly destroy us." And then you, you hear this bang, bang <laughs> as someone's walking, and it comes around the corner, and he goes, "It's the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man." <laughs> and then, and and Egon is like, "I'm so terrified, I can't think." <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the line that, that Peter said when they first attacked him? When what? They first He's a sailor. Him. We're in New York. We get him late. We're fine. <laughs> so, of course, they, they fire at the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, which only... And toast uh, him. <laughs> they toast him a little bit. They toast and, him. And then they roast, they roast the side of his face for sure. But they're trying to work out, well, what can we do? We don't know how to destroy this. And Egon's idea is cross the stream. The, the particles uh, flow the opposite direction through the gate. We can actually reverse redo it, it we'll reverse it all. And he goes, "Well, and it'll take it all with it." How are we going to do that? And he goes, "We're going to cross the streams." And of course, Peter says, "Well, Egon, you said crossing the crossing streams is bad. bad." And he goes, "It's okay. There's a very small chance that we'll survive." Peter's the first one that gets excited about the whole. I thing. love this plan. Yeah, I'm excited to be part of it. Well, if you're going to die anyway, may as well be excited be, about it. And be with your friends if you're yep. going to do this. Yep, absolutely. So um, so the Mar Stay Puft Marshmallow Man that begins destroying the city against his earlier advice, Egon instructs the team to cross the proton energy streams at the dimensional gate. The, result ex the, re the resulting explosion destroys Goza's avatar, banishing him back to its dimension and closes the gateway. And it just sucks all of the ghost energy with it. Yeah, and Walter Peck, who is on ground on the ground, <laughs> all the marshmallows are flying all over the place, and he gets dunked by it. Oh, that was funny. He, and and I'm and I remember this scene. Everyone in the cinema just cheered. And oh, yeah. yesterday, 
you know, everyone, I, I'm sure, cheered when that actually happened. And it was true. They absolutely cheered when he got an entire, an entire body full of marshmallows. Yep. Um, the Ghostbusters rescued Dana and Lewis from the wreckage and are welcomed on the street as heroes. Yep. Now, I and just... you'll notice that he Venkman has his arm around Dana and she's acting like she's like totally with him at this point. But once again, it comes down to it doesn't look natural. Like when they kiss each other, th there's no chemistry between those two. No. And you have uh, Janine running over and hugging Egon and he's still not happy about this. No, he, d he didn't look very, he didn't really get into it because he was like, she was like, oh, Egon, because she originally had said to him that she had a, a premonition that he was, he was going to die. Yeah. And there was no real affection from Egon no. at that stage either. But when she runs, runs uh, you know, over to him and, and hugs him, he basically has this look like, yeah, that's fine, but I've got to go in the car with the guys. Yeah. They're all going back to the same place. They're all going back to Ghostbusters headquarters, but he doesn't really want anything to do with her. No, he really now doesn't. suddenly with um Ego with um Peter, you know, kissing Dana, there is still really no chemistry. There's no there's no chemistry there. Bill Murray and Sigourney and, then, and then and then you have Lewis. Hey, I want to go with those guys. Oh, that in the car, that's right. And he goes, I anyone want to interview me? I was an eyewitness. I was there. And the, of course, the Red Cross are trying to help him out by taking him somewhere to, to recover. And he was just so interested in, you know, getting into the um, thing. Now, there is a standout person in the last part of this movie. Oh, Mr. Redhair? Mr. Redhead. You cannot unsee this guy. No. They, they haven't been able to find him. They know he was just a person off the street that wanted to be in the movie. So they got him as an extra. He's uncredited in the movie. But you see him jumping up and down and so excited and really getting into the movie um, he overacts his ass off. Oh, big time. He is just way over there. He's almost like, you know, Holtzman, but in the earlier version of 84s. Yeah. Um, oh, business. he was just having fun. He was in a movie. Give him a oh, break. Oh, yeah, that's his own claim to fame. And look, you know what? I will say, in all honesty, I would probably be excited too to be involved with. He honestly looked a lot like Eric Stoltz. Yeah, on crack, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> But that being said, we've um, always give a rating between zero to five movie reels. Zero being I would want this two hours of my life back to five. As soon as the movie's over, I could pretty much watch this again. So in that situation, what would you give this movie? I think uh, three and three quarters. Three and three quarters. Yeah. I will give it a solid 4.5. I The only reason I won't give it a five is because of the glaring um, rape situations that I could possibly see happening. Um, that would be my only real downfall. Of this yeah, I, I give it a lower rating because of Venkman. I've just never really liked Venkman. I, as I said, I love Bill Murray. I love all these things that he's been associated with. So yeah, I movies, like him, but I've never been a huge fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I always hark back to when I first saw him in Caddyshack. Um, I, I love his, and I, and I think he's perfect and, and, you know, apparently he's going to be recast in Afterlife coming up yeah. this year. Um, I do love his acting. I think he's an amazing talent. He does... I've just had too many men in my men in my life or males in my life who have been abusive and tried to pass it off as humor that I just can't like him. Yeah. And I look and I do appreciate that because, as, as I said, it's only as an adult watching this movie now that you see there are glaring situations in this movie that could get him into a lot of trouble. And yeah. Certainly, carrying a hundred milligrams of Thorazine in a, in a needle yeah, to put into just... someone's vein—that's—I'm sorry—that doesn't really fly with me, nope. you know, as far as that goes. But that being said, 
I thoroughly enjoyed watching this movie. I, I really, I always love watching Ghostbusters. We did watch the second or the the 2016 remake. There was parts of that movie that I enjoyed. I think the the way they did the a lot of the ghosts were very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the special the, effects were definitely better. The special effects were were, were really great. Um, there were certainly Holtzman is my only downfall of that movie. I think if she had been had bought down. It was almost like a Jim Carrey situation. If, if the director had said, down, bring it down, bring it down. Yeah, no, and, and can I just say how much I loved having Chris Hemsworth in that movie? Chris Hemsworth, I would say, he definitely made that movie. I, so you know, his, his character in a lot of ways was incredibly unnecessary. And you had that weird, awkward sexual tension bet- with, between Aaron and him because she just thought he was so pretty. And she's not wrong. Uh, <laughs> do you think he's a he's a male version of Janine? He was supposed to be, but yeah. dumber and a lot dumber. Yeah, you know. So he in in a lot of ways he didn't really serve a function other than eye candy, aside from the obvious vessel for the bad guy to take over. But I just love the fact that Chris Helmsworth would be willing to play a part like that and just take the Mickey out of himself and the type of characters he normally plays. Yeah, I would definitely say that I really enjoyed his character because it was not what we were used to. We were used to Thor and that sort of situation. And and with him just basically, as you say, taking the piss out of himself. I think personally he looked like he had an absolute ball making that film. Yeah. And and I and I enjoyed him in that movie. I thought that he was his character was so well cast and I don't think anyone could have actually played it better. No. Um as a as a male Janine. Okay, well, that being said, uh, follow us on social media at Home Class Movie Chat. We have a website, homeclassmoviechat.com, and we have a newsletter, and we'll be doing contests or something at some point. So make sure you join us there. And anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? No. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you at the movies. Thank you for joining us for the Home Class Movie Chat with Kat and Paul. Home Class Movie Chat is produced and edited by Create Your Change. If you would like to launch a podcast, please visit createyourchange.com.au. Please follow Home Class Movie Chat on social media and sign up for our newsletter at homeclassmoviechat.com so you can keep up with the latest news and promotions. We hope you enjoyed yourself today and will join us next time. If you did enjoy today's episode, please leave a review on the platform where you listen to this podcast. 